Growing your business is tough, but don't worry, we've got you covered. We interview industry experts on how they've solved their most challenging business problems in SaaS or e-commerce. No fluff, just step-by-step playbooks to help you dominate your market and crush the competition. This is the How We Solve podcast. Here's your host. Welcome to another episode of the How We Solve show. Today's guest is Peter Shankman. He's a top keynote speaker in the marketing, brand building, social media, and customer service realm. The New York Times called Peter Shankman a rock star who knows everything about social media and then some. He's a five times best-selling author, entrepreneur, and corporate in-person and virtual keynote speaker, focusing on customer service and the new emerging customer and neurotypical economy. With three startups launch and exit under his belt, Peter is recognized worldwide for radically new ways of thinking about customer experience, social media, PR, marketing, advertising, and ADHD, which is one of the topics that we'll talk about today. The problem that we're solving is how to deal with the real-time customer growing and maintaining customer loyalty in a world with a short attention span, the ADHD world. Peter, thank you very much for being on the show. Yeah, good to be here. I already forgot what we were talking about. The tension is that, that's short. <laughs> um, you're also, you're a personal hero of mine because you launched Hero, help a reporter out. I have a portfolio of businesses and one of them is in the backlink billing space. So you've been doing us a very solid one with launching this. So thank you again for, for building this. Glad to hear it. Initially, I reached out because I found out that I have a condition called aphantasia, which is I cannot create mental images. And realizing this, I realized like how different we perceive the world. And so I looked into people who with other conditions, in your case, ADHD, you think faster than normal. And I'd like to, before we get into the customer service world, I'd like to talk about ADHD a little bit and mainly what kind of crutches do you have? How do you turn this into a superpower and what kind of crutches do you have to help yourself to perform on your A-game? ADHD didn't exist when I was growing up. What existed was sit down, you're interrupting the class, you're disrupting the class. And it wasn't until my 30s when I finally got diagnosed and I was able to put a name to what I actually had. I'm like, okay, this makes sense now. The key about what you can learn about yourself is that, I'll give you an example. I'm looking out my window right now and I, I see a seagull. And the seagull is flying and it is a very windy day. It's raining. It's kind of gross here in New York today. And this seagull, I'm, I'm watching him fly against the wind. And he's literally right outside my window right now. And he's, I'm on the 56th floor and he's going north. You might think, oh, he's flying into the wind. That's such a bummer. But wind actually gives birds and airplanes lift. If you don't have wind, you won't be able to take off. You need something pushing against your wings to let you fly. And so the key, I guess the point I'm trying to make is you have to look at what you're given and you have two choices. You can complain and bitch about it, or you can figure out a way <laughs> to turn it into something beneficial. And for me, that was sort of my goal. I had two options. I'm like, okay, this ADHD thing, when I didn't know what it was, I'm a kid, I don't know, what, I don't know what's going on, but I do know that there's something going on. I can either complain and go home every day and be miserable after school, or I can figure out a way to make it work for me. My brain moves in such a way and so fast that I actually didn't have, growing up in school, I didn't have the ability my hands were too slow. To sit down and copy something from the board into my notebook was the worst thing in the world because the hands were too slow. I'd already be six pages later before I started writing it down. So I got the idea of, and this in the 80s, of getting a, a little portable word processor and bringing my portable word processor into school with me. And all of a sudden, I'm typing in 100 words a minute and 
oh, by the way, I'm taking every single note in the class and it takes like two seconds, I can sell these notes. So in junior high, I launched my first business, literally taking notes for kids and I'd print them out on this, the word processor to give you some idea of how 1980s, it was called a Brother EP44. I'll never forget that. Brother EP44, it had 2K of RAM. <laughs> not megs, not gigs, 2K of RAM, which I believe was 2,048 characters. If I wrote more than 2,048 characters, I would crash it and I'd have to start again. But yeah, I was able to find the positive in everything. For me, my ADHD, if I know how to use my brain in the right way, my ADHD allows me to do virtually anything. But that comes with rules, right? I have to exercise every day. If I don't exercise, I don't get that dopamine. I don't get that hit, those chemicals that I need in my brain to make me function at my best. So even if I've had a late night or if I had a late flight or whatever, I will get up early. I'll force myself to exercise because it's mandatory. And so it's those kind of things that you have to learn and sort of understand how to use in the right way to turn what you have into a gift. I'm similar. I, I don't work out. I have like on my habit tracker, sweat every day. If I do this, then I'm a happy person. If I don't do this, I'm, I'm not a happy person. 100%. It, it's very simple, right? There's a great movie called Wag the Dog that came out in the 90s. And there's a line where Dustin Hoffman is talking about Woody Harrelson, who plays this crazy military guy. And, and Dustin Hoffman says, well, as long as he gets his medication every day, he's fine. And he says, what happens if he doesn't get his medication? He's not fine. And that's literally exactly what we're talking about here. Do you have any other habits or things that you do on a regular basis to help you performing other than working out? I try to watch what I eat. COVID's been a bitch because, you know, you're just sitting at home in front of the damn fridge for two years. But uh, I try to eat healthy. I try to go by the rule that if my grandmother wouldn't have recognized it 100 years ago as food, I won't eat it. But what else? I get try to get as much sleep as possible. Eight hours of sleep a night is mandatory. Everyone says, oh, yeah, I get four hours of sleep a night. I can survive on three. I'm like, then you're an idiot because you're not allowing your body to recover the way it needs to. Um, and I track the data. I look at the metrics of every single workout, whether it's on Strava or my Peloton or whatever. I look at the metrics and see if I'm improving. I'm never going to win a marathon. I'm never going to win an Ironman, but I will finish. And the goal for me is to finish better than I did the last one. So men lie, women lie, children lie. Data does not lie. Is the reason for just measuring yourself is not to get depressed by kind of like, oh, I look at Mark Zuckerberg versus younger than me and he's like more successful or is it just something you do? First of all, Zuckerberg's evil. Fuck him. No, I don't like to compare myself to other people. I mean, look, we all do it. We're human beings. The bigger issue for me is, am I doing better than I was yesterday? Am I not? Am I doing stuff that's causing trouble? At the end of the day, you need to have a, a mindset to understand that the race isn't against anyone else. I mean, I, I've done very well. I've sold three companies, right? Is it as good as someone who's done more? No, it's not. But why do I care? You try really hard not to care. Again, it's not the easiest thing in the world. My daughter goes to a private school. She's eight years old. She goes to a private school in New York. And in her class are the children of a couple of famous actors. And I've been to birthday parties at this actor's house. And this actor owns a five-story brownstone in the village. All of a sudden, my gorgeous two-bedroom apartment doesn't look that great anymore. But you can't think like that because my gorgeous two-bedroom apartment is a gorgeous two-bedroom apartment. Who gives a shit if there's a mansion downtown? I'm doing well. Am I doing better than someone who lives in a one-bedroom apartment? That doesn't matter. Am I doing better than Peter Shankman 20 years ago who lived in a studio? Yes. That's the improvement. That's the improvement you're looking for. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have accountability partners, like a personal trainer or like somebody that holds you accountable? Because like this is something that makes it so much easier for me to just like have somebody else who checks in on me. So my best friend is also my triathlon coach. His name is David. David and I have been running together 
biking together, swimming together for over 12 years now. We met on the run course at an Ironman in Mexico. He lives a couple miles from me. So at least once a week, we'll get up early together and, and go for a run. And he's as crazy as I am. He's a school teacher. So he has to be at school at like 7 a.m. So we'll get up and we'll run at like 3.34 in the morning, which is great. When I got divorced five years ago, six years ago, he actually got me through my divorce. We would do like 10, 12 mile runs starting at 3 a.m. It was awesome. Some guys, they get divorced, their best friends take them to strip clubs once a week. No, we would just go for runs. Greatest thing in the world. I have a partner, my girlfriend, Gabby, keeps me focused and keeps me on track. And then strangely enough, I'm very close friends with my ex-wife. And my ex-wife and I will meet on our Peloton bikes, her at her place, me at mine, a couple times a week and ride together virtually. So yeah, you got to have accountability. I also, I run a mastermind group called Shank Minds. We have about 50 people in it. We have accountability calls and things like that a couple times a week. So you got to have a tribe, whether it's one person, 10 people, whatever, whatever works for you, but you got to have a tribe of people who can call you in your bullshit, right? Who aren't going to buy into your bullshit, who you can't bullshit. That's the most important thing. You need a group of people that you can't bullshit because let's face it, I'm a keynote speaker. I can tell you exactly what you want to hear whenever you want to hear it. You need to have people in your life who can see through that and call you on it when needed. Yeah, absolutely. You need a tribe. Way more fun with the tribe. Let's get into our topic of growing and maintaining customer loyalty in a world with a shortened attention span. One of our businesses provides actually customer support, live chat agents and support agents. And I used to have an e-commerce business like a long time ago and I've firsthand have felt like how big of a difference in conversion rates and customer happiness that you can see if you actually respond fast to requests. So very curious to hear your take on that. So one of the things to understand is that we are a society who has become accustomed to an immediate response. A study came out several years ago about Twitter that said that something like 74% of people who complain on Twitter don't actually need their problems solved. They just want to be heard. And so one of the key things to understand is that being able to respond to a request, whether it's online, whether it's email, whatever, time is the ultimate factor. And if you can figure out a way to improve how you communicate with your audience, and that comes down to improving your brevity. It comes down to improving transparency, being more relevant. You can do things like that. And there are simple ways to do it. I mean, you know, think about the last flight you took, at least in America, airlines are not bastions of great customer experience, right? And so you think about the last flight you took, if you left on time, arrived on time, had the seat you requested and didn't crash into a mountain, in your mind, that's possibly the best flight you've ever taken. When in fact, it's just a regular flight. But the reason that everyone is so amazed, oh, this is such a great flight, is because what you expect is the anal probe from the TSA, and then they changed your gate and didn't tell you. Now you're like six airports that way, and you're running to make it. You know, your luggage is falling out. You get there too late, so they gave your seat away. Now you're sitting in the back next to the bathroom. You know, If companies are able to be brilliant at the basics, and that is such an important point, the key cornerstone of any customer experience is the basics. I don't care what kind of magic or extra freebies or stickers or whatever you're going to put in my package. If you get the package wrong, or if you get the stuff in the package I ordered wrong. So being brilliant at the basics will vault most companies almost to the top of the customer experience game. Around Mother's Day last year, I got it. I still get pitched because I started Arrow. I get pitched by PR people all the time. They think that I'm a reporter. I write occasionally. I'm, a, I'm on CNN occasionally, but 
I get pitched all the time. And I, my favorite was last year where I get an email around Mother's Day. That read, Dear Peter, we know that working moms like you have it tough. <laughs> <laughs> and any tips on like how to get your customer success team or like just in general, like how to make sure that did you suck less, I guess, you know, training. You have to hire for empathy. Empathy. Hmm. Ritz Carlton hires people who care about people. Their tagline is ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. You can teach anyone how to make hospital corners on a bed sheet. You can teach anyone how to make sure the bathroom is totally clean. You can't teach empathy. You can't teach someone to care about someone else. That has to be ingrown, in, you know, inbred. It has to be raised in you. And if that is not created, if you're not hiring for empathy, you're never going to have the customer experience team that you want. You have to ask yourself, every single employee has to ask themselves, how would I feel if my mother was treated the way this company treats its customers? And if the answer is good, then you're doing the right thing. I always talk about the fact it takes every single employee to keep a customer, but it only takes one employee to lose customers. To piss people off. Yeah. I landed in Phoenix back in 2014. I was, I was using Hertz at the time and I went to pick up my rental car. And I had a, you know, Hertz gold membership. It means like, I don't have to wait at the counter. And so I go to get my car. My name's not on the board. Whatever. So like, it happens. Mistakes are made. So I go down to the uh, gold desk and there's like 40 people in line and like one person working. And the guy says, you know, you might have better luck going upstairs to the main counter. Go upstairs to the main counter. There's three desks out of a possible 11 that are actually in use. A two-hour wait for cars. And so I go through this whole thing. By this time, I missed my first lunch. While I'm on this line, I'm calling her. It's no response. I'm tweeting them nothing. I finally get to the counter. The guy goes, I have your reservation number. I give him my number. So I go, you're a gold member. I'm like, yeah. He's like, okay, you have to go downstairs. I'm like, dude, they just sent me up here. He's like, well, no, they have to handle it. I'm like, it's not a they. You guys are the same company. I see my reservation. You can do this. Like, sorry, it's policy. Next, he nexted me. Now, I am not anyone special. I don't expect you to know my name when I walk down the street or whatever, but I don't care whether it's a celebrity or no one. You don't next a customer when they're standing in front of you. You just don't do that. And so instead of going back downstairs, you know, in Sky Harbor Airport in Phoenix, all of the rental car companies are in the same building. I walked 25 feet from the cesspool of Hertz to the Zen garden of peace and tranquility that was Avis. And within five minutes, I had a nicer car at a cheaper price given to me by a woman who was smiling at me and called me, sir. This woman could have stabbed me in the eye with a spork and I still would have been happier than I was at Hertz. And the funniest part was that, of course, I get to the hotel and now I have two hours to kill because I missed my lunch and now I have to wait, you know, nothing until my dinner meeting. So I get to the hotel and there's nothing worse than me with time to kill when I'm pissed off. I write a blog post <laughs> called Peter and Hertz and the terrible, horrible, no good, really bad customer experience. I write about all the things I'd rather do. And then I had a top five list of things I'd rather do than ever rent a car from Hertz. I think number two was ride a razor blade bus through a lemon juice waterfall. And <laughs> I post this blog like in the evening or whatever. I'm woken up at like 4.30 in the morning the next morning by my cell phone ringing from a number I don't recognize, but it's in Jersey. And I'm like, huh, I think Hertz's corporate headquarters are in Jersey. And sure enough, it's like the end of North American customer experience. And I was like, Mr. Shagman, how you doing? It's 4.30 in, bro. But I guess I'm doing better than you. 
I'm going to guess that your ass got woken up super, super early by a boss you've probably never even spoken to, probably six levels above your boss. He's like, yeah, that's pretty much what happened. He's like, how do we make this right? I'm like, well, here's the thing. You had how many chances to make it right? When I was tweeting you to no response, when I was at the counter with no response, when I was emailing with no, when I was caught, I have a car from Avis. They smiled at me. Why would I ever, ever go? And that's the key thing. If Hertz can't get their shit together in Phoenix, what happens when I have to rent a car in Chindao or Shenzhen, China, or somewhere in South America? If I can't trust Hertz to do the job here, I'm certainly not going to be okay with going and trusting them anywhere else. And the funniest thing, two weeks later, I get a letter in the mail, package in the mail from Avis, thanking me, not for writing a great blog post talking about them, but thanking me for taking the time to mention how great their employee was. Hmm. That tells me that the company thinks and the company cares about their employees. And it's funny, they sent me a something called this Avis President's Chairman's Club. I don't know, something, you know, I just figured it was like the Hertz Gold car or whatever. And so next time I'm renting from Avis, like a couple weeks later, I'm on the bus to the Avis facility from the airport. I don't know where I was, is in LA or somewhere. They go, any... Friend members, and we all raise our hand. Any chairman's preferred? I'm like, oh, yeah, I think I'm the, oh, great, sir. What's your name? Peter Shagman. Okay, welcome aboard, Mr. Shagman. I'm like, oh, that's nice. They, oh, I don't know my name. The bus goes into the facility. Instead of going to the, to the counter area, it stops in front of a car. <laughs> and someone gets on the bus, and Mr. Shagman, I go, yeah. So I go, is this your bag? I'm like, yeah. He takes it. I'm like, what are you doing with my bag? He's like, no, sir, this is your car. I was shocked. Turns out, President's Club or whatever gives you, like, they drop you at the car. The best part was watching the bus pull away and seeing 70 people look behind it. Who the fuck was that? <laughs> it, was, it was funny though. But yeah, I mean, but again, now I'm never going to go anywhere. I'm going to stick with Avis for life. All because this one woman was nice to me. And that's the beauty of it. When every other company sucks, you don't have to be that nice. Like I said, this woman in Avis could have stabbed me in the eye. It wouldn't have mattered if she smiled. That's all she had to do. Do you know any personality tests or something that people use to figure out if somebody is empathetic towards customers? I don't know any specific personality tests. I could tell you that my personal test in when I hire someone in any capacity is I take them to lunch and I see how they interact with the waitstaff. Hmm. Because if you're not nice to the waitstaff, we're not going to be working together. I want people who are humble. I want people who don't believe their own press. I want people who understand that you get more by being nice than you do by being mean. It seems that we live in a world where a lot of people don't realize that. I guess how you do one thing is how you do everything. With the seeing how people interact with WaitStep, for example, it's like how you do one thing is how you do everything. If you're an asshole here, you're going to be an asshole there, right? I mean, yeah. And not only is that bad for business, but who the hell wants to work with an asshole, right? I don't want to spend eight hours of my day with an asshole. Bad enough, I have to spend eight hours a day with myself. <laughs> <laughs> I think I read somewhere that Zappos, when they, they make a hire, they fly the person in. Yeah, Tony implemented that when he was still alive and he worked at Zappos. His whole thing was that he would pay you to quit. If you didn't like the company, he'd give you like, I think like two or three grand to just walk away. Because if you committed, you were on board for good. You were on board to really give everything in terms of customer experience. And if he didn't think you could do it, he'd pay you to walk away. Also, he asked the, after everybody said, every manager said, okay, we want to hire this person. They asked the driver how nice he was to the driver as like another test. Yep. Drilling into the, short attention span with customer service. Do you know any statistics on like how fast you should respond to, let's say, a ticket or a tweet? Or like, do you have any statistics out there? 
It depends on the generation. Generation X expects immediacy. Surprisingly, Generation Z and Alpha are more willing to give it a little extra time. I think it's like the older people get, the quicker they want responses, maybe because they realize they don't have much time left. But yeah, it's definitely heard that older generations prefer immediacy. So that's something interesting, right? It's like, what can you do to get quicker? I think one of the keys is everyone in your company needs to be part of your customer service team. And that is a very important point. Having a customer service team is great, but if they go home at five o'clock and the person answering the phones has no ability to help anyone or fix anything, then what's the point of having a customer service team in the first place? So you have to ask that question of how do you get everyone in your company to do that? And the key is allow people to create their own rules in terms of how they help their customers, as long as the customer is helped, whatever that is. So, you know, uh, Rich Carlton, again, I'll go back to them. They allow any employee on the spot to spend up to $2,500 of the company's money for any issue without any oversight whatsoever. Because number one, they know that their employees are not going to mislead that or not going to abuse that power. And also because there's pretty much, I'd say 99.999% of the problems that customers have that any customer has can more than likely be solved less than 2,500 bucks. So they understand that if you're in the business of servicing ladies and gentlemen, which they are, you have to give your employees the power to fix that stuff. It's fascinating because basically at the end of the day, it comes down to being able to bend the rules when situations arise. I remember when I was moving out of my old apartment that was renting at the time, and I'd been living there about seven years or so. And I was one of the first tenants in the building. And I, I personally, I personally was responsible for like five people getting apartments there. Like I really would always recommend them, whatever. I'm moving out and I asked them if it was possible for my assistant to be present in my place for the move out walkthrough, you know, when they check the, the, because I was on a business trip. Nope. Sorry. You have to be there. The person on the lease has to be there. I'm like, guys, you even know my assistant. She has a key. She's on the permission to enter list in this building. She can speak for me. She has my power of attorney. She can, nope, personal lease has to be there. I literally had a delay my moving out by a week so they could do the walkthrough at a time that I was there. Do you think I'm ever going to recommend that building yet? They blew seven years of goodwill because they couldn't bend the rules. By the way, she has power of attorney, which means she's technically me. There's absolutely no reason she couldn't have been there. And forget it. I mean, people ask me all the time, hey, my kid's moving to... New York, I need a safe area. Where should they be looking? Well, not in this building, and I'll tell you that much anymore. So yeah, it's pretty crazy how sometimes the rules, which I get why rules exist, but I have another story. I was, I was at a deli. I used to have an office in Midtown, and I went to the same deli for like three years. I have the same salad every day. I don't think it's pretty boring. One day I'd go, and for whatever reason, I, I'd forgotten my wallet. I have a $10 emergency backup that I keep under the... Cover uh, phone. Thank you. Yeah. The meal was 10.07 and they know who I am. I go there literally whenever I'm not traveling. They wouldn't let me owe them seven cents. No, no, you have seven cents. You got a balance register. I'm like, guys, it's seven cents. Fortunately, the person behind me is like, this is bullshit here. Take this dime. But I'm like, I am never going back to this deli, which I mean, you think about how many times I order the same meal from them every day, how much I'd still order the same meal from them. The amount of money that they blew I'm not going to lie. I didn't feel that bad when I was walking by a few months ago. I noticed they closed because of COVID. I didn't feel that terrible. Store was for rent. I'm like, well, 
maybe you should get that seven times. But it's just crazy. I wonder what creates a culture like this. Is it like being scared of doing something wrong? Is it like not getting the leeway? Or... I don't know. It's possible. Well, I can tell you this. Bad employees come from bad managers. Yeah. And bad managers come from bad bosses. So there's no question about that. I'm assuming you're familiar with NPS, Net Promoter Score. Yep. And I think that there is a place for NPS. I think that companies and employees who live and die by it and it alone are short-sighted. At the end of the day, Net Promoter Score is great. It'll tell you, you'll get a ton of data and a ton of research from it. No question about it. But I personally believe that nothing will ever beat talking to your customers one on one. Whenever I give a speech, I have a little trick that I love to do. If I'm giving like a morning keynote or afternoon keynote or something, this works really well if I'm giving like the breakfast keynote or if it's the opening keynote and they, they serve breakfast right before. Everyone comes in, they sit down at the breakfast buffet or whatever, and then they, they go next door for where the speech is. So I'll always sit down at one of the tables with a random group of people who are attending my speech, but I make a fake name. <laughs> I wear a name tag that has a completely different name. I, the name I usually use is Jonathan Murrell. He works for Arco Logistics. They make international shipping a breeze that is entirely made up. Actually, Jonathan Murrell is a real person. He's a skydiving friend of mine who lives in Asia. I don't know why I use his name. He's a seven foot tall black man. I don't know why I use his name, but it's stuck. <laughs> so Jonathan Murrell works for Arco Logistics. But I sit there and I talk. I'm like, yeah, so yeah, have you heard about the speaker? What do you think he's going to talk about? What are you hoping he talks about? And I'll change my speech on the fly. And if I'm talking about customer experience, I'm talking about listening to your customer, listening to your audience. You got to walk that walk. You got to do exactly that. And it's just always funny when I catch the eye of someone who's sitting at my table when I'm on stage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, know, know your audience. Do you ever sell something for him? Like or generate a lead by being that other persona? Jonathan works for the U.S. government, so I don't think I've ever sold anything for him. But every <laughs> once in a while, I'll post on Facebook, I'll post a name tag with his name on it. And he's just like, he's like, dude. That's <laughs> <laughs> hilarious. Peter, thank you for all the insights. I 100% agree with everything you've said. It's like really take good care of your customers and the customers will take good care of you and take good care of your employees and kind of give them leeway and empower them and break the rules, just not the law. <laughs> Sometimes the law too. <laughs> just don't get caught. Every once in a while. Yeah, not often. Glad to do it. I really appreciate you guys having me on. And um, I'm at Peter Shankman on all the socials and I, I strongly encourage everyone to reach out to me. I'm happy to chat about this stuff. You know, if you're ever in New York, happy to buy a cup of coffee. I, I love talking about this stuff. I admonish people to understand that you cannot waste my time. I am always happy to chat about this stuff. Yeah, people can also find your, your podcast, Faster Than Normal, about ADHD. It's under fasterthannormal.com. Yep, fasterthannormal.com. Like I said, I'm at Peter Shankman everywhere on all the socials. Peter, thank you very much. Real pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you. Glad we could do this. Is your sales team spending too much time researching leads and accounts? We take over all the labor-intensive sales development tasks so your team can focus on building relationships and closing more deals. We don't just build lists. We take a strategic research-based approach to find your team qualified leads every day. Ready to start? Schedule your free consultation at taskdrive.com. That's T-A-S-K-D-R-I-V-E dot com. Thanks for listening to the How We Solve podcast. Dominate your market and crush the competition with our step-by-step -step playbooks. Subscribe right now in your favorite podcast player or visit howwesolve.com.